Welcome to An Apple a Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How you feeling today, my friends? How you doing? You feeling good? You feeling strong? You feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. You can't ask for better than that. Hey, I want to ask you, did you have a trip and fall? Like slip on the ice maybe and fall on your ass and you say, wow, that really hurt, huh? Well, I have a fella here with me today. And when I tell you he took a fall, he took a fall from a roof. <laughs> yes, I'm not kidding you. He fell off a roof. And in 1.6 seconds, that's right, he fell, it took him 1.6 seconds to fall two stories. You know, everybody falls. Every person falls. We fall short in school, in love, in work, and in life. Our lives sometimes feel punctuated by those downfalls, the rejection letters, the unrequited love, the mispromotions. The life-altering traumas, we all fall. But then what? I'll tell you what. Then we read a book by Michael Murphy. It's called When I Fell, How I Rerouted My Life and Found Strength in a Severed Spine. That's right. This guy, Mike, he fell two stories off a roof. Now, he wasn't up there roofing. He wasn't up there working in the hot sun. He was up there relaxing. He had just shot... An 89 on the golf course. He was relaxing with his friends. He was a young man. He was, a, he was in college. He, was, he had a couple of drinks. He wasn't drunk. You know, he was just up there relaxing, taking in the cool breeze on a summer night. And it just happened. He just slipped. He fell off the roof. 1.6 seconds to fall two stories. Can you imagine? And like I said, just imagine how it feels when you slipped on the ice or you tripped over the curb and fell, imagine the pain that you felt. Now imagine falling two stories. I can't imagine it, but Mike did. He fell and he's here to tell us about it. So I want you to sit back, relax, and let's meet Mike Murphy. We have a friend with us here today, Mike Murphy. He's an 11-time marathoner with top five finishes in New York and Boston. He's a tough mother. Now, right now, my wife is going, what did he just say? No, tough mother, M-U-D-D-E-R, adaptive athlete finisher, a sit-ski racer pursuing his Paralympic dream for Team USA. Plus, he's an author of a book, When I Fell... How I Rerouted My Life and Found Strength in a Severed Spine. He also has a bachelor's degree in history, a master's degree in American history. He's married to his wife, Casey, has a baby, Dylan, and a German shepherd named Gunnar. Let me introduce you to Mike Murphy. How are you, Mike? I'm wonderful, Jimmy. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Thank thank you you for having me. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. With everything going on in your life plus you're you not only are you an athlete you're an academic <laughs> how do you do it all you're a young man and on top of it you had this accident can you explain how this accident happened how did you sever your spine Absolutely. I'd be, I'd, I'd love to go into that. It's a story that I kind of uh, relive in my head more than I probably would like and more than I'm, I'm sure my mom would like. But it all goes back to April 22nd in 2007. I'm a 21-year-old junior in college. I had recently retired officially from playing collegiate football and baseball, and I was transitioning at the time into academics, and I just want to be a full-time college student with with not a lot of obligations in terms of sports. And what led me to the night of my accident and, and how it happened required a lot of different stars and planets to be aligned. A lot of, 
a lot of things and circumstances had to play out as, as they so often do in all of our lives when there's a, any minor or major event. It's, we, we wonder, you know, this had to happen and that happened, had to happen. And a lot of things had to happen for the chimney bricks to rip free in my hand that night to send me plummeting to the earth where I found myself on the ground staring up at a clear night sky. And it was, I, I remember seeing just this tapestry of, of stars and, and constellations. And, and it was at that moment that I was struck with this knowledge of, of what had just happened and a knowledge about what it meant. And, you... and how, I, how I got there was earlier that night and that day, it, it, was a, it was a celebration. It was Saturday. There was a band playing and an 80s concert at one of the fraternity parties. And I had actually just shot my, my first uh, 89 score on the golf course that afternoon with my buddies. So it was, uh, it was, it was a night that we were looking forward to celebrating. And, and at some point in the night, I, I come across a friend of mine who, li who lived on an off-campus house down campus. Well, sorry, down campus. And he said, hey, let's go later this evening. Let's go hang out, hang out up on the roof, um, as we've done before. And, and I was like, okay, fine. So I find myself on a roof later that evening, and, and I'm, I'm not sober. It, I'm, I'm 21 years old at the time, and, and I don't know all of the, the tiny details. A lot of those are kind of lost in my memory and, and lost when I sort of fell through the black void of, of that night uh, down to the earth when my, where my spine exploded and, and it severed my spinal cord. But the last thing I remember are the bricks ripping free in my hand, and then all of a sudden I'm staring up. My friends are rushing to my side, telling me that an ambulance is on its way. And that's sort of when it hit me. When I tried to move my legs, I knew I was paralyzed. I knew that instant. I knew that instant that my life was different and changed and that the night was officially ruined, so to speak. <laughs> and and the, re the reason I knew that is because I am now the second family member in my family to have a spinal cord injury. Right. My aunt paid... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I'm the second person in my family with a spinal cord injury. And, and so I knew my aunt Paige has, has been a quadriplegic my entire life. I've, I've only ever known her in a big power wheelchair. Uh, it was just normal that my mom's youngest sister was in a wheelchair. And, it, and that was cool. And that's how I sort of knew about paralysis and spinal cord injuries. And so when I tried to move my, my feet at that moment and they wouldn't respond, it, it just sort of struck me. And I knew... I didn't know what it meant in terms of the big picture and, and the blessings that it would bestow upon me in the years to come and, and the, the wonderful ways that, that it would challenge me in the next weeks, months, and, and decade. But I knew something was different. And I, I was resigned to the fact that I was now paralyzed. My legs couldn't move. And I oddly accepted that right then and there. And then later on when I was in the ICU and, and at the start of my journey towards independence and a new normal in this second phase of life of mine. That I can only imagine. I'm going to ask you a very, very, very foolish question. Go ahead. You said it took 1.6 seconds to fall. I get, if I guess I, it might be 1.6. It might be 1.4. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, not going to quibble, <laughs> quibble over a point, but I'm saying it, in that, did it seem like it took longer that fall or did it seem like it it's just... almost like it, it just sort of like a snap of a finger, a blink of an eye. It, one second, I sort of visualized these bricks sort of ripping free. I, I must have lost my balance or something. I was hanging, hanging out around this chimney that's sort of tacked onto the side of this one story house with a pitched roof right and then i'm sort of there on the ground no, it's I'm, just i'm just asking because sometimes like i like i said to you i, I was in an, in an accident and for some reason when you think back about it it seems like it's in slow motion at the time it does at the time it doesn't but i'm saying when you think back does it feel like it was it was in slow motion to you falling the, you mean the actual fall the itself? actual fall like the, itself the fall? yeah yeah it's and i and i kind of i kind of touch on this in the book I have no recollection of the free fall, none whatsoever. It, really? it, it's sort of this, this black void, this, tr this one point whatever seconds transition period in my life where my able-bodied life ends and my new life sitting down begins. I, I don't remember any of it. Luckily, sort of 
our, our brains are, are sort of, it's interesting how they're wired that way to allow us to forget really traumatic and horrifying moments. Kind of true. Almost, almost like, almost like my wife says, and, and I'll, you'll probably ask any mother that they almost forget the pain of pregnancy, mm-hmm. which allows them to keep wanting to have babies. <laughs> it, it, I, I just sort of, I, I don't, I have no file on that time from the top of the roof to the ground. And thank God for that. Thank right. I, right. I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't have vivid recollections of the impact that exploded my spine and, and sort of and, and just severed, severed the cord. Thank I'm glad I don't. Yeah. Thank God. for Now, another and again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to play the, the Grim Reaper or anything here, but how long did you end up in the hospital after that? Total time in the hospital after that, which included time in the ICU into surgery and then transi- transitioning into inpatient rehab there at the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was there for, for five weeks. Well, that's um, not, not that it's not bad, but that's that's a lot less than what I was expecting you to say. It is on the it is on the shorter end. Part of that is because I had I had set a goal to to get out of the hospital on a specific Saturday. I'd sort of done the math in those first couple of days as I was uh, in starting rehab and 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 getting and learning my schedule and my routine and what I would be doing as an inpatient starting over from square one. I sort of did the math about okay, there's about four and a half weeks until this Saturday, which is the graduation day of the college I was at at the time and. And I, I wanted to get out of the hospital and have them release me so I could I could tr- uh, travel 15 minutes up the road to see all my uh, my buddies in the senior class above me graduate. And the nurses and and the doctors wanted to wanted me to pump the brakes a little bit. And they they wanted they, they wanted to they, they wanted me to uh, they, they wanted to tell my parents that, you know what, we need to, ex- you know, lower our expectations a little bit. Uh, and that this might take time and that the positive attitude that he's projecting right now, it probably won't last. And they said, you don't know our son. And, and so and, and wouldn't wouldn't you know it? I I got out on that Saturday because I demonstrated that I had hit certain milestones needed to to be released in terms of can I transfer out of my wheelchair? Can I get myself dressed? Can I be independent enough to start outpatient rehab where where you really start to master a lot of the things required to live as a paraplegic independently. So, so it was on the it was on the shorter end a little bit, but that's just because I was I was just I was so motivated and so sort of gung ho and and I to finish my my rehab and and that sort of stems back to my my competitive side. That's excellent because that's one of the things that we talk about on the podcast here. Part of your healing, part of your recuperation is a positive mindset. And that's a perfect example. All right, maybe a little bit extreme for some people, but that's a perfect example. When you have your mind set on something, you can you can more or less bank on it happening. Absolutely. It, I, I totally agree with that. And if you give up, if you give up on something, if you have a negative attitude about it, you can bank on the fact that it's not going to happen. Right. And, and, and this whole idea about having a positive attitude and never giving up and we hear it's we hear that sort of stuff over and over yeah, in society it's it's almost to the point where it's cliche where i was phrase, just gonna say that where the phrase never give up is so cliche i mean i have i have it tattooed on my shoulder in greek i have i have this gift on the side of my bed that that i received at one point from a special visitor while i was in in the hospital that says never 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 give up the words of Winston Churchill to the people, to his people during um, uh, the battle of Britain. Right. And it, it, it has become so cliche and it's, you hear it all the time. And I get that. And it's hard to just, just to tell somebody just, Oh, be positive, never give up. Right. But at the time in 2007, social media wasn't what it was even a couple years after that, we didn't have this influx of stories of, of inspirational stories that have, that have just consumed our society in, at almost every turn for the better, which is great. But we, everybody's looking for that, those motivating stories. And you hear the word inspiration porn, which has actually sort of come up uh, in a conversation I mm-hmm. recently had. And, but at the time, the whole idea of, of, of this never, never, never give up idea is, was, was still novel. And it was, it was new to me. And however cliche it is to say to have a positive attitude, it's based on it's like a stereotype. It, they're often based on 
real facts and real things. I mean, there's there's proof that a, a negative versus a positive mindset can make all the difference. Of course, um, I, it's 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 completely true. Well, now you see it. you see it now. Where yes, it does sound cliche, but here you're living proof. And like you said, with the birth of the internet, you can see it more often. There's more examples that are visible to you where before this there weren't. There was just your parents saying, "Be more, be more positive, be more positive." Right. Now there's proof out there. It's in front of your eyes, and it's there that if you are more positive, if put it this way, it's always easier said than done for a lot of things, right. not just for right, that. of course. But when you're in this position. When you're in a position where you have a disability, you have to start looking at something. You have to start reaching for something. So you might as well reach for something that's easy. Go for the cliche. That's that's the way I look at it. Right. I, I, absolutely. I, and I totally agree. And and especially in the age we're living in at this very moment where, where talk of mental health and self-improvement, that is, I mean, you go to any, any library and you go to the self-help section or you go to the mental health help section Th those bookshelves are sagging under the under the weight of literature that is out in the world right now because it's so in vogue and so mainstream and in those conversations you will you hear a lot of people always talk about controlling the things that you can control exactly and, and sort of brushing off the things we can't uh, i mean sometimes it's it's hard not to slam on the horn in traffic when we're frustrated but it goes back to your attitude and your effort and the things you can control. And when I was in the hospital, I, I couldn't, I couldn't control the fact that, that my life had just been completely changed and rerouted and that I was literally back at square one, like an infant learning how to go to the bathroom again, mm -hmm. learning how to get dressed, learning. I had to be taken care of left and right. I had to literally start over and I couldn't control. I couldn't control the fact that I was there, but I could control how quickly I wanted to get out of there. Exactly. I could control I could control the goal that I had the day I wanted to leave. And then from there I said, okay, all right, what needs to be done? And you look at the tiny little steps and the milestones needed to be taken. And I controlled the effort I put in to slowly ticking off those steps one by one, whether it was uh, s learning to sit up on the therapy mat with my, my back brace on and, and put on my shoes or transfer uh, into the side of a car so that somebody could take me home when I left the hospital, stuff like that. So it's such a good thing to remember, just controlling those little things that we can control. And it's easier said than done, but once you sort of embrace it and you sort of live it, just like I sort of, I can't live without this never give up mentality, partially because it's tattooed right there on my right shoulder and I can never escape it. Hey. And when I, when I have moments of give, giving up, I just sort of, I glance down or I, or I feel the tattoo burning in my, in my shoulder and I, I'm reminded. Sure. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of uh yeah, the whole positive, the positivity thing is it's, it makes all the difference. And I, I know it's not always easy to do that. And, and not doing that sometimes is healthy when you're bouncing back from a tough situation. Of course. Now, let me ask you, too. I know for me this, this happened. When you first become disabled, and it, it, for me it, was, it, it just happened, you lose, when you first realize that you are disabled, it seems like, I don't know how to explain this, but like you lose a little bit of your self-respect almost for, for a time being. It's like not your self-respect, uh, like your ego. Your ego is a little bit deflated. Right. For me it was. And it takes a little bit of a hit. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for a while there, it, it affected things in my daily life. But I try to get this across also on the podcast that you have to gain back your self-respect. You have to, you have to, that you didn't lose anything. The only thing you became, you, you didn't become a disabled person. Like you, Mike, are not a disabled person. You're simply a person that has a disability. Right. Absolutely. There, there is no such thing as a disabled person. A disabled person is a broken person as far as I'm concerned. You're just a person right. that has a disability. That's no different than a person with a left hand or a right hand, a person that's bald, a person that's fat. It doesn't doesn't define you. You're just a, a person with a disability. Other than other than that, you're just like everybody else. Other than for me, I'm missing I'm missing a leg and you know, other than that. I'm Jimmy. The wheelchair. Yeah. 
the wheelchair doesn't define you. It doesn't. You're still Mike Murphy. Right. Absolutely. And, and I was, I was just thinking when, when you sort of mentioned how, when, when the event happens that you start your new life with, with this disability, yeah, the ego definitely can take a hit as as well as the the self-respect and at times. And, and I, I just sort of chuckled to myself and I was thinking, and and I'm going to sort of keep it real with you, just like I kind of do in my book. I, I sort of, I pull back the curtain on some of the gritty sort of unpleasant details of, of being a paraplegic. And one of those uh, goes into starting back from square one. And I just, when you said it takes a hit to the ego, I just, I remembered and thought back to myself at inpatient and I would, they were, they had me in diapers. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally <laughs> I, ha- I had to wear diapers because I, I, my body was in a state of complete shock and rebooting and it, and it didn't know which way was up or down and it didn't know whether to uh, stop me up or just yep. let everything go through. So, and so, I, so yeah, so you have to, you have to be prepared for stuff like that, whether you have a disability, disability or not, uh, exactly. because at some, at, at, at some point, something's going to happen in your life where it's going to rock you to the core and it's going to sort of shake up the foundation of everything you thought about the life you lived. And now it may not be sort of being plucked out of your, your old life and thrown into a new one in the form of paraplegia, but it could be a relationship uh, issue. It could be a medical diagnosis like, like cancer or something, or, or you could, it could be PTSD from war or something, but when something happens, you just got to be prepared for the, the unknown. And, and you have to be willing to, to sort of allow yourself to laugh a little bit and, and sort of, and, and you have to, remind yourself to sort of that you have to stay strong and and you just sometimes you just have to smile exactly that goes back and that sort of goes back to the attitude and effort there's a i could have i really could have pouted and and gotten all angry and mad when that diaper one time did come in handy during a session but i just sort of i just sort of laughed it off and smiled well Uh, in the beginning it's always a shock to your system trust me i've been there what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. It's always a shock to your system. But you know what? In the beginning, it's not funny. It, it's not funny. But a year later, I find myself telling stories about that. <laughs> and, you know, I'm the same way. Yeah, exactly. And you're laughing about it and people are laughing with you. It, right. You know, that's a, I don't know. I, 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 I treat things like a, like a dog. If I can't laugh at it, uh, I pee on it and I walk away. <laughs> exactly i love that you know i love that you got you have to laugh because you know what i i may be a little bit older now but i'm 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 still young enough i'm i'm too young to start crying about things absolutely i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cry about it i'm too young to i'm too young to put my my one good foot in a grave so right i'm gonna continue living that's absolutely. And I try to make that clear on the podcast to everybody else. And that's why I think your story is so people have to read your book. I started reading your book. I got your book a couple of days ago and nice. I started reading it. And I'm, I'm like, this guy, that's what I was telling you before we got on. I'm in awe. <laughs> it's, it's, I, it, it's just, it means a lot. It mean, that means a lot. It's just amazing. And your book is like one of these books that you start reading and your wife, your wife's calling you to dinner saying, come on, it's time to eat. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll be right there. And I'm turning the page and I'm starting another page, <laughs> you know? I love it. I love it. That's, that, that was the idea to, to keep, uh, to sort of make a book that was easily readable and that was a page turner with uh, uh, quick hitting stories and chapters and, and stuff like that that and to, really sort of. And to cause marital problems. <laughs> yes exactly yeah that, that, that was that was the underlying motivation that was that was the second goal yes exactly For ex- yeah, bingo nail on the head <laughs> but no it, it's it's really it's it's a book that you can get into because whether you whether you're whether you're disabled or not disabled it's a book that hits home because like you said whether you're a power whether you're a crip whether you're a cripple a quadriplegic paraplegic or or you have cancer, God forbid, or you have the common cold. This is a book that affects everybody. Whether you've never been sick a day in your life, you can read this book and you just become engrossed in the story because it's not a, a woes me story. And that's one of the things I hate about when you read stories about, because there's, there's a thousand and one books out there about disability. And I, I, right. I, get, I get people that'll 
that'll call me or write me every day and say, oh, I have a story I want to tell. And you, you listen to their story, and their story is like always so freaking depressing. This is how I have to get up in the morning, and I have to crawl 30 miles to get, get out of here. I don't want to hear I, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. No, go ahead, go ahead. You, you hear these people that... They exaggerate everything. Go on YouTube and look at look at a look at any look at not any, but look on YouTube and just uh, type in the search "living with a disability." I will guarantee you, seventy-five of the videos that you pick up out of a hundred will be people telling you the worst horror stories about being disabled. Right. I I, I totally hear you and. and it reminds me of some of the the peer spinal cord injury peer support groups I'm I'm on 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 Facebook. And yes, I just I just hear so so much of that, and and I also I heard I also heard it a lot when I was in the hospital as well, and I, I sort of touch on this in the book. And one thing we had to do in inpatient as as a as a resident recovering is they they give you a schedule a daily schedule, and you know you wake up at this time and you have sort of this occupational therapy, then you have physical therapy, then you might have mm-hmm. a break for lunch, and then you might you might be scheduled to talk with a psychologist and then yep. and then do some other thing. And and part of that was was group sessions. And quickly became evident to me that it was a place I didn't belong and I didn't want to to be in. I, it was a group I didn't want to to be associated with. Because I it's one of the things where you you're in this room, you sit around and everybody sort of sort of goes around and they, they speak or they don't speak, but my first couple times, I just I was struck by how many people were just were woe, the woe is me mm-hmm. mindset and and just for lack of a better term, bitching and complaining. But and but here's the thing: I just I wasn't in that that headspace. I I was in a different place than most than most of those people were at, and so I made a conscious decision to to just not continue. And and the day I I didn't just go to to the group session, my therapist came and knocked on the door, sort of wondering where I, where I was. And I, I said, sort of, you know, I, I'm done with that. Thanks. I'm, I'm going to carry out my time a little bit more constructively on my own, sort of reading the Bible, which is one thing that I did. But I don't blame them. And, and I sort of talk about this in the book. I, I sort of I wanted I wanted to make clear that I'm not sort of piling it on them and blaming them for not having the positive attitude that I so quickly developed. No, I hope I, I hope all those people, wherever they are, I hope that they found that. But that's just sort of that's how traumas go. That's how paraple- paraplegia and quadriplegia go when it when it when it happens to you. Everybody has their own timeline towards independence, towards acceptance, towards finding the the positives and the silver linings that have come out of that tragedy. And that's sort of and and it's health it's healthy to have those moments absolutely to, to, to cry and and I, I I included some parts where I talk about the down the the low points and the down moments and 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 my follow up book part two of this will be a little bit more darker and and I will go into some of the 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 tougher times I had to deal with within that first year afterwards but I I was just fortunate to be in that positive place where I accepted my accident and I was ready to move on. And I realized quickly that, you know, maybe this is my purpose. I'm in this wheelchair for a reason. This accident happened to me for a reason. So I didn't want to be a part of that group because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have my mind sort of poisoned by their stories and and what they were uh, uh, dealing with. Um, Not that I fault them at all, but. No, everybody, um, everybody has to be able to have what I call a pity party. Everybody does. Yeah, of course. Because if you say for one second that, myself included, I got hurt. I mean, for Christ's sake, you cut off my leg twice because I had the double amputation. So you cut off my leg twice. If I sat here and told you, Mike, they cut it off and I laughed my ass off. (laughs) No way. No way. I cried like a baby. I cried. I I complained. I bitched. I moaned. But... You know, there comes a point where you have to come to terms with it, too. Exactly. And people do it, like you said, at their own point. But there there are certain people that will just never come to terms. And not because because they can't, but because it's easier to complain. 
And I noticed that, like you said, in some of these chat rooms, because I go, I check out a lot of chat rooms myself mm -hmm. and a lot of people that I speak to, some people find it easier to be a victim. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so much easier. It's easier to sit on the couch and do nothing on a Saturday. Right. Than it, than it is to get up early, go for a bike ride, get out, do the yard work, do the, and, do the stuff you don't want to do. It's easier to do nothing. It's easier. It's easier to be sad than it is to, to be happy. Exactly. And I don't, for me, I, I don't understand that. And the people that I deal with, you know, and sometimes you just got to give someone a little bit of a, a push. My wife, see, for me, I found myself getting into that funk years ago. And my wife, God bless her, she's a, she's a registered nurse. And she is one of those people, tough love. You know, she's not one of the people that are going to say, I'll get it for you. I'll do it for you. She's like, do it yourself. And if you can't do it all, I'll, I'll help you. And that, right. that's what I think you need that. I, I'm one of those people that I was never, I never took a sick day from work. Never. Wow. So when this happened admirable. to me, when that, well, not admirable. It's just, I was a workaholic. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when this happened to me, it, it was devastating and I fell into a funk, but then it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but you know, other people, they just fall into it. And if you don't have someone to push you out of it, I think, or if you don't have it in you, like for you, you had, you had a good back, you had a good support system there with you. Your family right. pushed you out of it. You pushed you out of it. I mean, you were looking to become a Marine. I, I was. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was sort of the goal. And, and, and that support group is, it was so important to, to the positive mindset that, that I was able to have. And, and I'd be lying to say if, if I said that there were times when I had visitors come and I had a lot of, I was really lucky to have a lot of visitors. I mean, there were times where they would come and I would literally put a, put a mask on. I, I would, I, I'd put up the facade of I'm happy. I'm in a, I'm in a great place and I'm doing well, but you know, underneath there were still pain points and I was still sure. dealing with that, but, it, but that's only human, like you said. And, and, and I was really lucky to have so many well wishes coming from all over the place that literally sort of almost ignited my fire every time when I hear about how people you know, were seeing me as inspirational in terms of, of, of the way I was dealing with it in those first weeks. And, and that sort of kept me going uh, along with sort of the goals that I was setting and just sort of the type of person I was. And, and I know not everybody has the support group that I had. I mean, I was, I was 15 minutes away from my, my college. I was an hour and a half down the road on 95 from my home in Northern Virginia. Um, so it was easy for, to have all that, that support around me. Whereas other people who were in that circle in the, in the group, group session, they were far away from home and, and had nobody. But, but we also live in an age where it's, it's so easy to connect with people. I was just going to say nowadays. Exactly. And, and yes, on those, those Facebook groups, yes, there's a lot of sort of complaining and I sort of sometimes roll my eyes at it, but that's maybe that is that person's only way to reach out and connect with people who they can identify with, who can help them, who they can sort of lean, lean on their shoulder and sort of, and speak their mind to them. We, and and that, that's what's so, that's what's kind of so great about sort of the age we live in. Anybody can find the support group these days. And, and, and if you, if you can't, then maybe that's just you, maybe not ready to, we not know, wanting to. I have to tell you one thing that's funny about the support groups. I have one person that they were, I don't want to say a chronic complainer, but they, they were chronically in pain, put it that way. And they got involved with this one support group on Facebook. And he says to me, probably after about a month, they said, these people are always complaining. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, it was only a month ago that you were the person complaining. But now yeah. he sees it in other people. And it, in a way, it, it worked itself out. It went full circle. And now he's the one who's thinking more positive and he's giving positive, you know, giving these positive speeches to people on, on that same support group. So, right. And I, I, and I bet that person has, has, has looked at whatever situation put him in the situation he was in and it's gotten and he's, better. And it's gotten better. And I bet that he has found strength in that. Exactly. And that sort of, and that sort of ties into this, this really interesting thread that I, that is one of the sort of reasons that I'm so excited about to share this book with people. It's the thread that I, I, I wove into the book about post-traumatic growth. That was my next question for you. Yeah. Go for yeah, it. It's, so at its core, 
post-traumatic growth is basically the idea that we become stronger because of the, our sufferings and, and the tough times we get through. And this is actually, it's a, it's a fast growing little section of, of psychology where that sort of began in the 90s with these two professors at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, where they, they coined this term, post-traumatic growth with the acronym PTG. And, it's, and this idea of strength through suffering, it, it's been around for, for millennia. It's, it's in practically, there's examples in every religion around the world. And, and it, it's not a new concept, but, but the, the, the phrase is new. And so they, and so they, they started studying the, this phenomenon where whether they would talk to war, war veterans or people surviving traumatic events or prisoners of war or people who have, who have survived Tsunamis, tsunamis and earthquakes, or they have lost loved ones from cancers or, or gun violence or whatever. And, and over the years, it's led to more and more people studying this phenomenon. And the literature has grown in, in this academic field, and there's more and more studies. And, and what they're finding is that 75% of people will have a traumatic event in their lifetime at some point. And of those, of those people, you can have a, almost a 75% chance of, of finding some sort of positive aspect that has come out of how you have dealt and coped with this tragedy, how you've moved forward and the, and the things you have learned from it. And, and the oppor- maybe, maybe it's given you opportunities. Maybe it's opened new doors for you. Maybe it's introduced you to a whole new set of people like hand, hand cycling did for me. Or maybe it allowed you to someday meet your, your current spouse like, like it did for me. Uh, or it taught you about spirituality and it will awaken your relationship with God or, or whatever power you believe in. Or, or maybe it, it just re- made you realize how lucky you are to be alive and that you can still wake up every day and see a new, a new sunrise. And, and this is sort of this whole new phenomenon of post-traumatic growth that's sort of pushing back against the stigmas that come with the long-standing acronym of PTSD, right? Post-traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder, where there's some stigma with that, and 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 sort of the idea of well, if you have PTSD, you're sort of almost a broken person, and you just got to find some way to live with it and live with sort of the the event or the the things you went through. Whereas science is literally, and the studies are finding, and when they send out questionnaires to thousands of people with a whole bunch of questions on it, and they and they they analyze the answer. They're finding that you have a scientific probability that you will become a stronger person, a better person because of the trauma that you've been through. And it may not seem like it in those first days, weeks, months, maybe even years, where it sort of goes back to that everybody has a different timeline of, of reaching acceptance or, or seeing the blessings and the silver linings in the unfortunate cards that they were dealt. But at some point, you will find some strength. And that's sort of what happened to me. And when I found out about this, this term, and a buddy of mine actually told me about it. I was, when I was shopping around an early version of my manuscript about three years ago, and he, my, my buddy's an author, and he's, mm-hmm. he's a senior editor at, at The Atlantic or former. And he read my story, and he said this has really great potential. And he told me to just do a Google search and start looking into something called post-traumatic growth. And I'd never heard of it before, and I had no idea. Right. When I started, when I started to look into it, I realized, and I, 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 I sort of looked at a lot of these research studies, and I, I sort of did the Wikipedia stuff and just a really cursory research, and I realized that this is me, that this is an example of me. I've been living with post-traumatic growth. I have done so many things that clinicians are now teaching their, I guess, patients to help them get to the place of post-traumatic growth. You could be, and a- I realized. I, I'm the example of it. You're the textbook example. But I didn't know about it. But the thing, and that's the crazy thing, and that's where, that's sort of one of the missions with this book is because there's this divide between the academics in psychology who are studying all this and, and, and publishing uh, articles and, and, and essays or whatever that you know, most people are not going to read. And then you have this, this you know, mainstream real world outside of the academic world that has, doesn't really know about this stuff. But they need to. And that's sort of and I'm sort of that middle 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 man. And, and I don't claim to be a psychologist. I don't claim to be be the professional. 
but you know, I've done a lot of stuff in the world of academics. And so this is, I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of just sharing and introducing this to, to the readers. And I, and I've sort of weave that into, into my story a little bit. I'm telling you your, your book, it's going to make a difference. And I, you know, I, I, when you said that, I, I wanted to ask you about that also. I know that this is the fir first book in a trilogy that you're doing. It is. Yep. Yep. I, I'm like I said, this book here, I'm, you've got me hooked. You've got me hooked. I, I put it this way: If you're doing a trilogy, you better be doing something after the after the third book, because you've got, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you've got me hooked on this one. I, I know I'm going to go for the other two. Actually, well, that, that, yeah, that, that means so much. I'm going to be talking to you before the next two books as well. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I definitely want to because this this book alone, this book, and I, I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt because <laughs> I. This book is gonna do. This book is gonna do so well for so many people just because it's written in English, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it's written. Yep. It's written in layman's terms. I, I try to keep it. I try to keep it very real. And, it, and I and I yeah. It's written in layman's terms, and it gets a point across. I don't know how else to explain. I'm trying to figure out a way to explain this. That it gets lessons across that doctors doctors couldn't put these lessons couldn't tell tell their patients these lessons as that, well as you can tell it that, that again that that really means so much and it, it's it's sort of i never really get tired of hearing that I, i'll be honest because it's this book and and what i've the work i've done so far on part two and part three i've been working on this for over a decade and i, and I also had a i have a really amazing editor who, who I graduated uh, from college with. She was in my class at Randolph-Macon, the, the school where I, at the time where I fell off the roof. And, and she, is, she, she has done a really, a really marvelous job in terms of cutting the fat off and, and, and helping me outline the story and really sort of getting those messages across. And, and, it, and I'm so glad that, that she has edited in the way that she did and, and sort of helped me see things differently as, because I'm so close to the story, obviously, because I, I do believe, and like you said, I do believe that this book is important, and I do believe it is the best thing that anybody can buy with their nineteen dollars, or I think eighteen dollars on Amazon, because every every year in the United States there are eighteen thousand new cases of spinal cord injuries, eighteen thousand new spinal cord injuries in America alone every year which sadly means that this book will stay relevant. And, and I hope it helps people because a book like this once helped me in that first year. And so this is sort of my way of paying it forward as well as sort of being an outlet for my, my, the side of me that is the academic who sort of loves to read and write and play with words and ideas and, and that sort of stuff. So, well, you know, you're, I, put, you're putting out a message in a, in a novel way. You're putting out an academic message in a novel way. You're, it's an academic message, but it's you're putting it out in a way that makes it easy to read. It makes it's not it's not a tough read, not by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and it it's it's a read that someone can sit down and say, "I can relax. I'm going to read this book." Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I I hope that as I hope that everyone listening does that because. You know, the more that this gets around, the, the more people it can help, and 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 the more people who need to hear about post-traumatic growth and the potential of them, you know, coming out better and stronger, even though they might be currently sitting in the hospital, still with attached to all their their IV and their lines, sort of wondering how their life has taken such a, a dramatic turn, and 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 I, and that's why that's why I sort of I didn't really go too heavy on the post-traumatic growth stuff. And I have those sort of two different timelines of the story that sort of come together and, and go back apart because I wanted anybody to be able to pick this up. And I was, and, I was just going to say, it doesn't, yeah. this doesn't read like it's just for someone that, that has a severed spine. This reads for someone that, that just is disabled. That's the way I read yeah. it. That's the way I'm reading it, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I think I and I think a lot of people can re relate because of that, and 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 I because I also share a lot of stories about my relationships with people. I, I share a lot of stories that that you know uh, high schoolers can relate to because exactly. I talk a lot. Of, I, I I talk a lot about my struggles, and and yes, this is a story about you know when I fell and sort of the immediate aftermath of 
of that. But I sort of, I've come to realize that falling off the roof and being paralyzed and, and the, the life I'm living now and what I'm doing now, literally talking to you and sharing my message is sort of one of the purposes is, and it's why I'm here. And I, I never got to go to Marine Corps boot camp. I was supposed to be an officer. I was supposed to go to boot camp to, to go through that crucible where it sort of changes you and transforms you and, and spits you out a new, stronger person. And that's what my 21 years were leading up to the moment of my accident and that moment of realization that I'm paralyzed and I'm, I'm looking up at the stars and I, and I can't move my legs because everything that led up to that was prepared me to live this life. It prepared me to have the positive mindset and to, and to embrace it quickly, whether it was sort of the morals and values that were passed down to my, me and my, my siblings from my parents uh, through sports or the things that my teachers taught me or coaches taught me or moments, uh, little moments here and there uh, where I sort of, I was tested and tried and uh, like my freshman, freshman year of high school when I broke my femur uh, um, in a football game. Um, and I, I started freshman year, I started high school in a wheelchair, uh, oh. having no idea that this was sort of, Looking back, it was sort of like a, a preparing. Time of preparation. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was preparing me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, I want to I want to ask you a question. Now, you said you were an adrenaline junkie before all of this. Did you ever ride a motorcycle? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Did you? I, I, I did. Yeah, I uh, I never rode a street bike, but I I I rode motorcycles and uh, I rode dirt bikes and and four wheelers and ATVs because my family we had. When I was about eight or nine, my family bought this this farm down in sort of rural Virginia, about an hour and a half away from our, our house in Northern Virginia. I so I spent weekends there, you know, hunting with my uncle and my cousin, riding ATVs and dirt bikes, and mm -hmm. sort of being being like a country kid. I I sort of I have the countryside of me, and I sort of have the the suburban side of me. So right. I I do kind of miss riding dirt bikes, though. I'm not gonna lie, because it's oh. it's a different feeling than the four wheeler. I know. I used I used to ride a bike. I was all yeah. all over the country on a bike. <laughs> um, did you ever ride a snowmobile? I haven't. No, neither did I. I haven't. I want. I want to uh, very badly, and I. I still have um, skydiving way up there at the top of my bucket list. Get out of here! Are, are yeah. you? Are you really? Do you really want? Yeah. To... I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Nah, I don't even want to go up steps. Never mind, jump out of a plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's. It's that's that's that sort of that bizarre side of me that sort of craves that sort of adrenaline rush that I still get nowadays after I when I'm doing a super G or a speed event and I, and I get to the bottom of the hill and, and I, I made it through the course successfully. And and I, I get I get those highs that that are just kind of it. I don't know if you can you can mimic them in any way. No, <laughs> I don't know about wanting to jump out of a plane, though. But <laughs> Mike, where where is your book available? My book is available anywhere books are sold. Best, easiest, quickest place to get it is uh, is on Amazon. It's it's easy to find under Michael Murphy and When I Fell. So it's it's yeah, it's very easy to uh, to get your copy. I think it only takes like a couple clicks if you're doing it on a, on a mobile phone to open the app and order the book and have it at your house in a matter of a day or two. Well, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a link to it on in the show notes here for the podcast. And you also have a website, right? Michael Murphy Speaks. I do. My, MichaelMurphySpeaks.com. It, it's recently totally renovated with, with all new features and, and new stuff, whether it's the random blogs that I do that I've been doing over the last couple of years or uh, sort of media stuff. But yeah, MichaelMurphySpeaks.com. Okay, I'm going to put a link to that also in the show notes, and we'll see what we can, we'll see how many people we can turn up for you on your on your website there. Um, Absolutely. But it's been a pleasure, it. been a pleasure speaking with you today, and I definitely want to talk to you again. As soon as you, as soon as you're ready, or even before you're ready to put out the next book, because this has been a pleasure today. I'm, like I said, I'm in awe of you, Jim, you Jimmy. It's, it's uh, I can't thank you enough. I I am happy to come back uh, and be a guest because I've I've really enjoyed talking with you, and it's it's this has been a great conversation. Definitely a great conversation, and I'm sure people are gonna people are gonna be inspired by you. I mean, you've inspired me, and I know you're going to inspire millions of people with this book. 
This book, this, I, this book, believe me, people are going to be inspired by this book, and I'm sure the 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 rest of the trilogy. But I definitely want to have you back on. I definitely want to speak to you again. And help me in. And good, you know how how old's the baby now? He is four. He's coming up on fifteen months. Well, that's a, you don't need it. You don't need a cycle anymore. Now you have to start chasing him around the house. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty much I'm pretty much at that that point now. He is <laughs> he is practically sprinting across the room, and uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite the challenge to keep up with him. And uh, and I'm I'm sure there'll be more challenges along the way, but it's it's quite a blessing. And, God bless. And uh, yeah. Oh, best to, best to your wife and the baby and. Your your German Shepherd Gunner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we'll we'll definitely talk again, Mike. Thank you very much for coming by today. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, buddy. Take care. Was that some story or what, man? I. Just shudder to think, falling two stories. And Mike, he's got such a great outlook on life. And the story that he told us, that doesn't even scratch the surface of the story that's in the book. You have to check out his book, Mike Murphy, When I Fell. I'm going to have a link for the book in the show notes here. So check out his book. Check out his website. There's going to be a link for his website in the show notes as well. And I want to thank him for coming on with us today. And I want to thank you for being here today with us. And I want to remind you, An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. So if you get a minute, check it out. And while you're tripping around the web, make sure you stop by famousapple.com forward slash group. That's our group page on Facebook. Go over there, check that out. We got some conversations going on, people asking questions, people answering questions, people making friends. So if you get a minute, check it out. And I want you to remember, things can always be worse, my friends. Right now, there's somebody somewhere wishing that they were in your position. So things can always be worse. Remember that. Again, I want to thank Mike Murphy for being on with us today. And I want to thank you again for being with us today. And you've been listening to An Apple a Day. My name is Jimmy Apple. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.